Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on September 16th of 2018 under the headline, Bootlegger's Bad Luck Was Whiskey Galore for the Locals. Here we go. In the pitchy darkness after midnight on a blustery February morning just off the Oregon coast, the 36-foot powerboat Sea Island was in big trouble. The Sea Island was a Canadian rum runner out of Vancouver, B.C. It was February 8th, 1932. Prohibition, as everyone knew by then, was an utter failure, but it still had another year to go before it would be officially repealed. Until it was, there was still big money to be made running boats and ships like the Sea Island up and down from Vancouver to meet up with waiting trucks at remote locations on the west coast of the U.S., smuggling in tons and tons of bonded Canadian liquor. One such remote location was Whale Cove, a mile or so north of Depot Bay, which is where the crew of the Sea Island now found themselves and they were in some trouble. The engine had started missing badly just at the moment it was most needed. It was now firing on only one cylinder and barely making any power as the crew struggled to guide their boat into the mouth of the cove. Now, Whale Cove is almost everything a crew of smugglers might want in a rendezvous spot, remote, no houses or settlements nearby, partly protected from the open sea. The only problem was it was so dangerous as to be almost unnavigable. In particular, there was a big rocky reef jutting out of the middle of the entrance to the little bay, and that reef took some very fancy navigating to stay clear of. Bringing the Sea Island into Whale Cove in broad daylight with full power would have been a real test of a skipper's skills. Doing it in the middle of the moonless night with an almost dead engine was a virtual impossibility. While the Canadians did their best, what choice did they have? But it wasn't enough, and a big breaker soon picked up the Sea Island and dashed it against the rock. And then another one. Now here's where the story gets muddled. The Sea Island's crew later testified that working on the theory that maybe the engine was just out of fuel, one of them grabbed a gasoline can and started pouring fuel into the boat's main tank, forgetting all about the cigarette dangling from his lips. The fumes ignited, the gasoline can dropped and spilled, and suddenly the Sea Island was on fire. More like, Most likely, though, they were lying about that, trying to explain how their boat ended up half-burned up on the beach. It seems far more likely that the fire wasn't set until after they'd beached and safely unloaded the boat. But I'm getting ahead of myself. At that point, fire or no fire, the crew, William Kerr, Charles Ryle, and Arthur Babcock, gave up on the situation as hopeless, and, with water pouring into the hold, drove for the beach as fast as their failing power plant would push them. Then they got busy unloading the 400 cases of liquor and 900 gallons of straight tanker truck alcohol, 190 proof and 15-gallon cans that they had stashed in the hold. Now, although they later tried to tell investigators that the Sea Island had, quote, drifted into the cove after the engine died, Whale Cove had been the rum runner's destination. There would have been trucks waiting there for the booze. Apparently, though, the local trucking crew had spooked and bowed out. So the enterprising fellows dug a great hole in the sand, loaded the cargo into it, and buried it. 
It is actually possible, by the way, if not likely, that there were no trucks and that this was their usual system for the Whale Cove smuggling run. Whale Cove is right between Depot Bay and Newport, so there was a real risk of someone seeing and reporting a truck running around in the area in the middle of the night. Perhaps their system was to bury the product in the sand and the local associates would come and dig it up and haul it out one carload at a time, pretending to have a picnic on the beach. If so, that would explain them having just happened to have enough shovels handy in the boat to bury 400 cases of liquor and 60 kegs of Everclear in an hour or two. Well, then they attempted to light the boat back on fire again, apparently, and in this they were only partly successful. After all, it was early February on the Oregon coast, getting anything to burn was a tall order. But they didn't stick around to make sure it worked. Two members of their local loading crew were there with a getaway car, and the five of them now piled into this and made themselves scarce. Their chances of getting back to Canada were already slim, and they were getting slimmer by the minute. There was a good 400 miles of twisting two-lane roads between them and the border. Roughly 365 of those miles were still untraveled when disaster struck again. The driver of the stolen car got a little too eager, or perhaps he'd tipped a glass or two of the Sea Island's cargo before they left the scene of the wreck. In any case, near Hebo, he ran off the road and wrecked the car. Actually overturned it. Luckily, nobody was hurt. The five of them made their way to town, where the two locals managed to disappear, but the three Canadians, still on the lam and hoping to get home, bought tickets on a morning bus bound for Portland. But by the time they'd gotten to Portland, the wreckage of the Sea Island had been found. The Depot Bay locals who found it first knew exactly what had happened the minute they saw the burned hulk on the beach, nor did it take a whole lot of imagination to figure out what had happened to the Sea Island's cargo... Local Depot Bay Area residents flocked to Whale Cove, shovels in hand. Meanwhile, Trooper Johnson of the Oregon State Police, responding to investigate the car wreck in Hebo, discovered that the car's license plates had been switched, and the game was up. The three Canadians had been seen in Hebo as they boarded a bus, a description was promptly wired to Portland, and when the bus arrived at the station there, a delegation of bluecoats was ready and waiting. Depot Bay's whiskey galore moment was all too brief. The Lincoln County Sheriff's men were soon at the scene, and the party was mostly over from there. Federal and state prohibition agents arrived with shovels and spent the better part of a week uncovering the cash. They were delayed by a nasty storm that arrived just after they did. Of course, locals tried to slip onto the scene at night, and despite the Fed's best efforts, some of them succeeded. The storm had dispersed a lot of the cases and bottles, though, and reburied them hither and yon. Or, if our theory is right, maybe they were left over from previous runs. E either way, after the feds left the beach with most of the booze, there remained several dozen cases of very good liquor buried here and there, and for the next several months the beach at Whale Cove was a very popular recreation spot. Visitors wandered around probing the sand with metal rods. They promptly named the rocky reef that had precipitated their good fortune upon them Bootlegger Rock. The three Canadian rum runners were taken to the county jail in Toledo and locked up to await their trial. But anyone who thought the story was over was in for a surprise. A little over a month after the Sea Island wreck, the boat's crew members escaped from the county joint in one of the most spectacularly audacious jailbreaks in all of Oregon history. We'll talk about that jailbreak next week. Key sources in this story were basically the Portland Morning Oregonian from February 9th to... March 27th, 1932. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. 
Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are Offbeat Oregon history-type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatorgan.com slash cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatorgan.com. Episodes of Offbeat Organ History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye.